Hello and welcome to the Get Known Podcast. I'm Steve Lee. For those of you who are new to Get Known, we interview journalists and sometimes other communications professionals about their work so companies can know better how to engage with the press and get their company covered in media. Our big goal is to make sure that companies out there who are reaching out to the press build the right relationships, pitch the right kinds of ideas, and understand better what wastes journalists' time and what wastes their time. As I said, we normally talk to journalists, but we also talk to other PR and comms professionals. In this case, that's what we're doing. Needless to say, with this global pandemic combined with the major social awakening that has been sparked by the killing of yet another unarmed black American, George Floyd, we happen to be in a moment that feels like an opportunity for truth and understanding like never before. I guess each time that this has happened, we've kind of felt this way. But for me, there's been so much new information and so much learning, so much great reporting from the press um, that I myself have actually felt even more hopeful about the future than in the past. In my search for knowledge and understanding around this moment, I came across a video from another person of color from the U.S. living in Finland and that I didn't know. You'd think I knew everybody, but I don't. She just happens to also be another comms person. And in her video, which I'll link to in the show notes, she beautifully lays out some very concrete ways that companies and individuals can do something. So I thought I'd ask her to expand upon those thoughts in a discussion for Get Known. We talk about internal and external communications, of course, and the media. We talk about Finland, race, and some of our own experiences from both here and in the US. So let's get started with the interview. I hope that you'll get as much out of the conversations I feel I have. Hi, and welcome to the Get Known Podcast. This is Steve. I'm here with Laura Smith today. Laura. I'm saving the Finnish way. I've been here so long. <laughs> it's Laura Smith. She's already laughing at me. I am. It's okay. <laughs> Laura, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Go right ahead. Hi, Steve. Nice to talk with you. Uh, yes, I am Laura Smith. I am a communications director and organizational researcher based in Helsinki. So it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you, another expat here. I feel so lucky that I've gotten you to come here. Hey, tell a little bit about what the area of communications that you're in so that the listeners can understand better what kind of communications you're doing and how you got into it. Okay. Well, that is an interesting story, how I got into it. But uh, yes, I actually started off in sociolinguistics, so looking at strategic messaging and understanding how people signal identities um, with their wording and the way that they speak. Um, from there, that kind of opened up doors um, in terms of looking at how to have authentic messages for certain brands, um, making certain that their voice and their their content actually resonated with the communities that they're targeting. And that was at a consulting basis, working with some companies out in Germany. And from there, that just opened up further doors for more strategic communications, 
and I ended up going actually working more in-house um, as head of communications for a couple of companies actually based here in Finland, uh, most recently Effecto, uh, which is now acquired by CGI. And presently I'm on maternity leave, so I am doing freelance work while I raise a small human. That's really cool. Um, so how long have you been in Finland? It has been five gloriously peaceful years, actually. So pretty, pretty relaxed time here. It's a good place to be based, I have to say. It is wonderful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we both learned a lot. We were talking earlier how how to look at stuff from this sort of far away view. You know, there's so many things that... Uh, have led us to where we are today, us both being African-Americans who live in Helsinki, who uh, happen to be in the communications field, um, and all of the support and things that we've both seen from the people here in Finland and in Helsinki. I think that it's just a really special moment. And of course, you and I didn't know each other before this, but I got to know you through the video that you created. Uh, where you lay out these five things that people should consider. I just think that it would be really valuable for companies and people to understand better those points of view that you provided. Well, certainly. And I have to say, this has been an experience that's actually drawn together a, a broader black community here in Finland. I mean, I think I've gotten to really talk and to meet so many people recently um, through this discussion. So um, I did make this video as a way of helping facilitate um, discussions about race and productive actions, actually, um, in companies to be able to address what people recognize as a problem, but don't necessarily always have immediate understandings of how the solutions can be addressed. So what... We went through in this video were five different points about how you can make a stand that's not just a, a marketing or comm statement, um, but actually something that is meaningful and impactful to people. And that's something I really want to make sure that we do. Um, I know we're both comms people, and oftentimes you think about finding the right word. That's been my career. Um, but I think there's a certain point where it's not just about finding the right word. It's about finding the right actions, too. Um, so this is what I wanted to try to encourage companies and professionals to really think about what they can actually do. Yeah, I've seen a lot of things that I've been so affected by during this time, and it's made me ask a lot of questions. I was talking to my sister, and my sister was saying that it's so great that there's so many people of different backgrounds that are coming out for these protests is so impressive and and even here in Helsinki it was so amazing I really feel like there's a positive moment that's special about now but I think the first point that you made is probably the most powerful of all those and it was about listening maybe you could tell a little bit about that Uh, certainly I think all right, especially maybe in our field, a lot of people like to come out with the first words. They want to be able to say something. Um, I was approached by a number of companies after you know George Floyd's death, and 
they want to say something to support people. What can we say? What can we do? Um, and then I, I realized me being outside of their company or outside of their world, that's probably, it's not necessarily about always saying something. I, they wanted to have me come up with a statement, but for me, my thought is it's not necessarily the most impactful thing. You want to make certain you start off by listening. Um, a problem has been that people have been ignored for so long. So it is an incredible action in and of itself to rather than just try to advance a dialogue or a discussion at that particular moment, let people breathe. Let people be able to actually say how they're feeling, let people be able to explain their reality when they want to, but don't necessarily go demanding um, people's experiences from them. Don't go and expect that people are going to be your, your instant cultural consultant right there at that moment. People have feelings. People have you know, emotions that they're processing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, the situation that happened in, in the States that have sparked this whole situation and this whole uh, movement, um, it was actually a lot of things. I mean, it wasn't just one event. It wasn't just a George Floyd thing. I know a lot of people, perhaps yourself included, have had different encounters with police, have had different encounters with authorities that have made this experience a little bit um, more personal than what you would actually expect a news story to be. So That's exactly true. That's exactly true. Of course, myself, I have my moments. You know, you're walking down the street um, and somebody locks their doors, you know, pulls their <laughs> child closer. Yeah. These kinds of things. I used to think that it was because I was ugly. <laughs> but it uh, come to find out that it's, it's just that they were protecting themselves. There's a lot of things that are systemic within the society and the way things are done. And you spend your life growing up just not knowing why these types of things happen. And I also think it's because I didn't have other black people around me when I was growing up to help come make these things clear to me. I mean, I've had to do a lot of listening. There's been all these podcasts, to be honest, that, that I've been listening to. There's been one on Throughline, for example, and they talk about the policing. And I, I have to say, I didn't know. I didn't know that the history of policing in the U.S., the system, comes from keeping slaves in line. And I'm learning now more than I would have ever learned before. And I myself have like turned to try and listen more. Now it makes more sense. And to be honest... I think this has gotten a lot of people to listen, not just yourself, obviously, but um, for me, being here in Helsinki, I've had to listen to other types of black communities here. So we're not the only type of black community here. I mean, I would That's actually, so I would say there are about four different communities. So there are people like us who are from the black diaspora, the African diaspora um, that immigrated here um, for people who are not up on that term, black diaspora, that would be essentially mostly Africans from the transatlantic slave trade that end up somewhere. And now, you know, wherever we grew up, we grew up in the States, you know, they can migrate elsewhere. Um, that's one group of people. 
you have other people who are um, Afro-Finns who are born here and raised here. Um, and you have different types of those. You have people who are with, you know, Finnish heritage um, who, you know, may be feeling that they don't have as big a place in this country, which they are born and have actual heritage in, you know. Um, and that's a hard thing to be excluded from a place where you would objectively belong. Um, there are people who ha- are children of, you know, immigrants here. And they also are Afro-Finns, but, you know, they may not have Finnish ancestry. Um, they have a different experience being considered equal citizens as well. Um, you have people who are direct immigrants from Africa. Um, and that's a different group of people as well. And they all have different experiences here. Um, but... I think it's something when we, with our level of privilege, and we do have a certain level of privilege coming in here with a certain passport, um, when we get a chance to actually stop and think, hey, you know, we have a certain aspect, a certain history and experience being this color, but other people have other experiences and we could talk about that too, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that everybody has this opportunity to listen and there isn't necessarily something where the action immediately needs to take place. This is something you were saying. But the action itself of listening is so critical. I was reading this report. Uh, it was a report on the discrimination experienced by people of African descent. And I mean, it was looking at people who were born here, who have grown up here. Um, in schools and workplaces, and they said something like 65% of the respondents had said that they had experienced uh, racism. And of course, sometimes that's not always something that's just shown right in your face as, as malicious intent, but rather it ends up being things that people get services that other people wouldn't have had. They, they do positive things for some people, but not others. They show preferential treatment. Um, those are also things that are a lot more difficult to catch and a lot more difficult to see. And I think that when we um, take a look, it seems that people just need to have take a look and see these unconscious bias that we, we need to get in front of our faces. I mean, these bias are things that we do on a daily basis that just in hiring practices or how we interact with people each day that's what happens. I mean, I'm just as guilty as everybody else of being comfortable with certain kinds of people and it just shows. So as we move on, um, before we go on to the next point, is there something else you'd like to say about this particular point? Honestly, um, I just want to reiterate that listening should certainly be led by the person who insight and input that you're you're seeking um that should be a given but somehow it isn't actually always um it tends to be people in privilege um they will open up the forums for listening okay now is the time this is i'm willing to hear you out tell me your story tell me what's you know what's going on you know um but the fact is you need to make certain that there's always an open channel um, for people to be able to share and to be able to communicate even when it's not convenient for you. And I think that's something that businesses could do a bit better with, um, making certain that they don't just listen and gauge the opinions and feelings of you know, minority communities 
at this particular point, but that they make a commitment to doing so over time, you know, in their businesses, in their practices, you know, as they have these relationships with these communities. That's an excellent point. So what was next? Well, um, the next thing would be about how to support. And that would be, as I call it, standing behind people. And there's so many different ways you can actually support the community. Um, I have seen so many people, first they, they point, they had these, these black boxes and the statement saying, we stand with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and we stand with black people and we support you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the protest, I mean, exactly. let's not forget how, how fantastic those protests were, the support that was out there. I mean, I was so moved uh, with, with how people came out. The protests are great, I have to say. But let me put as a caveat there, people going out there catching COVID is not necessarily the best way to, that so that, <laughs> to you know, worried to about increase, that. I was, you know, I was immediately a little bit worried about yeah. that. But that aside, I mean, the gesture was fantastic. The gesture was fantastic. Um, but if we have, you know, thousands of people in hospital, you know, in a couple months from now, eh, you know, does, is that actually making the point either? My thought is, aside from that, it is great to say and to express what you want to, you know, and that's a great thing. You do need the statements. The statements are fantastic, but don't let your support in with statements. Okay. Um, anything that you say should be backed up by something. If you cannot concretely identify what this means, then that might be a statement you might not want to utter at that point. Okay. Um, so when you say we stand with, what does that mean? I mean, how long are you standing? Are you going to give a one-off donation? Well, that's great. But then consider racism has been existent for you know hundreds and well, the racism we're talking about in terms of post-colonial racism and and post-slavery racism. Um, these things have been around for you know hundreds of years, many many centuries. Um, you're not going to get away with you know resolving that or making a dent um, in terms of race relations with a single donation. It doesn't quite work out. Yeah, you have to go beyond what's going to make good PR. You have to go beyond what's going to be good marketing. And I think companies who take this seriously they'll get something more out of it. So what kind of support, what kinds of things, as much as we love all these shows of emotion, what do you see as the things that people could do? Do you have concrete examples that companies can learn from? Oh, certainly. Um, I would say that requires active advocacy in the sense, this is something that's sustained over time, okay? Um, So you need to construct organizations and businesses and practices that actually support black people and you know include them in that sense and that's a thing that takes maybe partially deconstructing what already exists a lot of the the infrastructure a lot of the kind of ways that we built our our communities our business communities our organizations they were not built with the idea of empowering everyone a lot of the business models and structures that we have it wasn't about, you know, trying to make certain that we have, we're doing good in the world. That's something that kind of got added on later. But I'm saying it's not a viable superficial fix in that sense. Um, you're still going to have something rotten underneath if you don't actually take a look and deconstruct the system that you have. So take a look at your organizations. Um, 
once again, get input from the people that you have there, but take a look at what you've built. Who are, who are the people who are communicating and speaking for your organizations? Who are you speaking to? Um, take a look at who you've hired for certain roles. Um, if you don't have people of color and you are reaching and servicing people of color in your business, then that's something you should probably take a look at. That's, that's a big deal. Um, you should make certain that you have insight and that you have input from people. So hiring is a big thing. Making certain you have fair compensation, that's a big thing. Um, making certain that you're championing voices. Um, oftentimes in media, we don't necessarily promote um, a lot of people of color, um, not just in terms of imagery, but also in terms of messages. We have the same people that we say are, you know, thought leaders. And the thought leaders even that we are, we're quoting or that we're partnering with, um, these people are usually not so many people of color. Oftentimes their thoughts and their voices are marginalized. It's considered to be something that, okay, I'm glad they got included, as if it wasn't exactly their party to begin with, you know? So yeah. we want to make sure that we actually are building these things from the ground up. Um, have more voices that are actually influential, have more voices that are impactful in our organizations, but then also representing our organizations and what we're sharing and disseminating. Yeah. And I was also thinking too, that one of the things that I've noticed is that it's not just that we have people who are, you know, you bring people of color and diversity in general into your company. But I think that p companies need to look at it not just from a point of view of being nice, but that companies can actually get a major amount of value. Exactly. And they're missing out on the value when they're not so diverse. There's value in diversity. There's value there that makes you more interesting to different cultures, more interesting to potential buyers, more towards people who can support your business in these different communities. When those voices are a diverse group of voices, you know, for example, more people from different cultures, when it comes to media, then more people refer to that media, more people trust that media, more people talk about that media. And we talk about a lot of times talk, getting people to talk about you, that that's sort of the key to PR. You know, how can you attract a larger crowd? Well, diversity is one way to make that happen. So I guess it's an important part of diversity is not just as something that you do because you are trying to be nice, I mean, fact is that we're running a business here, and that's also important. Diversity is just one of those things that's, among other things, that is supporting that business. And I think it's just a missed opportunity. I think the problem is people think of diversity as charity, okay? Right, and, exactly. And so they think that, okay, we're helping them out, but people don't understand that that's actually helping themselves out in that sense. Um, so that's a problem. I think that's a perspective problem. Um, there are lots of organizations that are trying to change that view. Um, and one issue I find, or one challenge that they have with this is that people do have this 
this entrenched view that, you know, there are certain kind of people who are experts or certain kind of people who bring value and other people who just take value. Um, and, you know, they've had different studies about this. You think about like on LinkedIn, are you likely to take, you know, a, accept a, an unsolicited uh, friend request or request a connection request from a person who is an African person um, or a person who's based in Silicon Valley, you know? Um, and the assumption is that maybe the person in Silicon Valley is going to give you some something, some actual value that you won't want to have. You want to connect with that person. You want that person in your network. The person from Africa, maybe not so much. And that's unfortunate, you know, that perception's unfortunate. So what you're trying to say to people is that not every email that you get is like the Nigerian prince looking for money. You know what? You'd be surprised. There are actually millions of people in Nigeria who, wow, are not trying to scam you. It's amazing. I, I totally <laughs> think that's something that everyone <laughs> has to realize. But it is one of those things that you grow up in a certain kind of culture and you adopt those things. I mean, I went to Africa and it was a big eye opener for me uh, last year um, or was it the year before. But anyway, uh, just to go there and having grown up in a white neighborhood, um, you know, having, having gone to schools that were primarily white, um, then working in places which were primarily white, and then moving to Finland, which is pretty white, even when there's no snow. And just, I think I had a lot of perception and that came from that that growing up because you don't see yourself and uh, I kind of like to tell people that it's kind of like if you were a penguin who grew up in New York City and then you go to Antarctica for the first time and everybody looks like you that's the feeling that I had and it's a it's a real shock for someone who hasn't grown up in that environment I think that what, that what that does to you as an experience is that it makes you dive in deep whenever you go to a different culture. You become used to being different. You, you go and you swim in the hole in the ice. You, you go and do the Sulkavansotu. You go and do, um, you learn to ski. And I think, I think that has to be sort of a two-way Yes, street. but I, I, do, I, I also kind of want to interject something. People yes, come here for different ahead. purposes, okay? Um, and whether a person is coming to be maybe an economic immigrant coming here for five years or if they're going to be an actual, you know, immersed immigrant who's going to really want to integrate, they still have human value. And then from a broader standpoint, you know, there is economic value to integrating them in that sense, to that degree. Um, so whether or not someone wants to be a cultural immigrant, that's a very different thing based off their objectives, based off of, you know, society's needs and these kind of things. It's a complex reality. Um, but that should have no, that should have no impact whatsoever in terms of how they're treated or, you know, whether or not they are considered to be a valuable human being. So that's exactly right. Yes, that is exactly right. Because, the truth is there are common human values and giving everybody the same opportunities, like we were talking before, it's so important that people get the same care in the same facilities as everyone else. That just means that their us is smaller than what they, what it should be. And 
I was listening to this uh, NPR politics with Aisha Roscoe, who is an NPR politics. Um, she covers the White House. And she said something about her bishop. He said that, uh, I think his exact words were, he said that um, if you don't listen to people's pain, they'll make you feel their pain. And I think that that's uh, really indicative of what's happening in the U.S. and why all this explosion has taken place. Yeah, like my own pastor would say, hurting people hurt people, you know? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of underlying things that people don't realize. And this has become an opportunity for people to actually take notice and do something and uh, provide that underlying support that you've been talking about. So uh, let's get into the third point you had shared. The third point is actually kind of getting more instantiations of how you can do certain things to support. Um, so taking a look at advocacy, um, at its core, to be an advocate is to speak for partially. That kind of means that. But I'm going to flip this around. I'm going to say I want you to be an advocate by allowing people to speak for themselves as well. Um, make space for other people allow the spaces that people occupy to have you know room for their voices to have room for their contributions in your organization um, hire people but don't just hire them for their color hire them for their competence and if you're not finding competent people of color then that means you're probably not looking very hard or you're not looking in places where they occupy because they exist you know hey it's harder let's let's admit it though it's not as easy when the population is under one percent but high quality people with good educations do exist here. They do exist. People have degrees from places from all over the world. They sometimes come up through the Finnish system. So what do we say to companies and organizations when we know that that's the fact? I mean, the fact is, I mean, speaking more broadly than even black lives, um, in Finland, they, they graduate how many foreign students every year? And the vast majority of them cannot find jobs afterwards. Um, so you create talent but don't hire them that is unfortunate that's that's something where i would say people need to think about making certain they're they're going beyond their comfort zone and i would say what can be done in finland is to encourage people i know there's a, a culture of being comfortable um, in terms of your social relations you know um, but i'm going to encourage people in their business lives at the very least to strive for the most to get the most competent people around you as opposed to people that you're most comfortable with um, because there's so much growth that comes out of awkwardness there's so much growth that comes from when you stretch yourself and you have to rethink and reconsider what you're doing it might be inconvenient initially certainly um, that's a possibility but not necessarily a requirement of how things go but one thing is that what you get out of this is growth. And if you only choose to be comfortable, you're actually choosing stagnation as a business. And that is not a sustainable practice. Um, so to make certain people understand, being able to be different and to grow and to find differences and to be able to embrace them, um, not just to have them, but to learn from them, um, that's something that every business needs to do, um, not just in the communications, but also in terms of how they're organizing, how they're, how they're growing in terms of people practices and organizational development in general. Yeah, you know, I actually heard a thing 
that said that that next hire that you make should be somebody that's different from you. How much growth and change can you actually build if you hire somebody who's exactly the same as you? Because we're most comfortable, no matter who we are, very often with people that we understand who have that thing that's just like us, went to the same school, same background, same way they look. So it is a challenge for companies to hire those right people and also to speak and think about making systematic real change for the long term. This is going to change the way they communicate and how they operate. I'm also going to say um, if you're trying to subvert the narrative of, you know, African inferiority, and that's kind of something that happens, that's a narrative that exists sometimes um, in Eurocentric discourse. Um, what you want to do is make certain that the voices that you bring into your organization, the people you hire, you're not just hiring in the quote-unquote subservient roles. You're not just hiring in support roles. You're not just hiring to take care or to do small, menial tasks. Um, I was just thinking about, I mean, not to cast shade on any particular food delivery company, but I was thinking about some of the food delivery company um, couriers that I have um, who deliver to my apartment. <clears throat> and how many of them actually have, you know, a couple of them have MBAs. Some of them actually have, you know, advanced degrees. But this is the only job they can find. I'm grateful they can find something to pay their bills. Don't, don't get me wrong. But wouldn't it be great if people were able to use their talents as well? Yeah, I've heard a lot of similar stories. I know a guy who is a car mechanic now, but he has a degree in climate engineering. Yeah, there's nothing to, you know, say if that's anything wrong with that. One of my dad's many jobs, he actually is also an auto mechanic. I think that's yeah. a, it's a respectable I, I trade. I, I, I wasn't saying anything bad about auto mechanics. So when your dad listens to this, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. Yeah. I'm sorry, just to clarify, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying anything I, bad about I'm just saying, mechanics. But I think a person should be able to live up to their potential. And in a place like Finland, there's no reason why that can't happen, you know. I don't think you have such entrenched racism in the sense of it wasn't legalized here. It wasn't something that your actual law systems and your structures were set up to support. Of course, it's internalized, certainly, um, but it wasn't legalized. That's a, that's a good start. That's a very good start. There wasn't a colonial history here. Um, there was not you know, institutional slavery here. This is a great place to start making those changes. Mm -hmm. Actually... From what I hear is that the Finns have actually always been the ones that everyone's kicked around. Exactly. This you know, is what they should be more sensitive. <laughs> then they yeah. just had to keep quiet about everything. So they understand our pain. <laughs> but I also think that that you can't think that you understand really. Mm. I mean, we can't Although I have my Finnish citizenship, I can't ever really be Finnish. But I have to be good with that. I'm happy that I'm American also. And that I bring something new to the table. I bring that part of who I am to the table here. And I have this one friend who puts it really, really well. She said that it's kind of like men saying that getting kicked in the balls is the same as having a baby. Hmm. That you just really can't understand that the pain is not really the same. 
but you can empathize. You can do your best to empathize and and listen and support these things as much as possible. I think, honestly, yeah, this kind of goes back to the empathy point, but it does take recognizing, no, you'll never, you won't be in that person's shoes. So you're not going to understand how it feels to be in their shoes. But what you can do is think about how you can and work with that person to figure out how you can make that a more comfortable walk for them, the walk that they have to go through life. Um, and, you know, that's just something that's applied empathy. That's something that we all have to have. Um, in terms of concrete things you can do in a corporate sense, um, of course, you can use your voice and position and privilege to make space for others, of course. Um, we talked about the HR side of things, of course. You can draw uh, attention to issues of race and inclusion. That's what you can do from a comm standpoint. Um, make certain that people are not forgetting things just as quickly as they pop up in media. Um, if something is an issue and if you have the ability in terms of what your um, your product or what your uh, network arsenal includes, then you can be able to make those kind of partnerships or programs or even products to be able to support that community. Um, if you have, let's say, for instance, an organization um, that is trying to start a new program um, in your company internally to address racism or to make certain that you're more inclusive, um, make certain that it's shaped by people within your organization. Um, you should probably, especially if you're looking to think about Black Lives Matter specifically, talk to your black people. And if you don't have black people, then that's something to talk about too. Why don't you have them there? You know, if that's if that's a part of your program, you should probably figure out. You know. Why exactly haven't you recruited these people? Yeah. So, uh, well, let's now consider the fourth point. That is, you have to be able to actively go against racism. Um, you have to, a lot of organizations right now are saying they are zero tolerance. You know, they have zero tolerance for racism. Um, but that is an empty phrase if you haven't, define what you are saying racism is in your organization. Um, if you haven't made any kind of actionable definition, if you haven't said what happens if people violate that, if you haven't trained people um, about how to actually deal with that or how to mitigate that, um, then that's just empty. And so you need to make certain that what you say is something that you can support and you have to support that. Um, preserve this space that you create as being anti-racist. Um, so you cannot let certain things fester in your organization. If you do have some things which cross a line uh, for you guys in terms of what is racist, um, then you have to make certain it's dealt with, it's dealt with appropriately. Um, I'm not saying go off and fire everybody who makes first insensitive joke, but what I am saying is that if people consistently um, don't respect that policy in your company, you are going to have to take some sort of punitive action or corrective action at least um, towards that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people are afraid though? Sometimes it's too much for an organization when they don't have everything in place. I work with a lot of companies that haven't ever been aware that they have these problems and then all of a sudden they decide that they want to do this and what they do is they hide until they feel they've gotten it and then they don't realize that, you know, you never really actually get it, that it's an ongoing process, that it's something that you have to keep going with. You have to recognize and start from scratch a lot of times. 
Yeah. So my feeling is that they should just get out there right from the beginning and make a change and tell everybody this exactly. is where they're headed. You know what? From a PR standpoint or just from a comm standpoint, something that's a useful thing is transparency. Um, I love to encourage companies to be honest about their inclusive journey. Um, I've been doing research in companies about basically organizational development, how they're structured, how exactly they're building um, and including and empowering people. Um, one thing that's come up with a number of companies is this issue with inclusion. And the number of companies who told me that they did not want that included in the report is staggering um, because that's something that they say, well, we have a problem with this. Um, we know it's an issue. We probably don't have the time or resources or interest for some companies as well uh, to address this right now. So let's not look at inclusion. Let's see if we can kind of take that part of things out the data. Everybody wants to look good before they. I, know, I get that. They want the numbers to look good when they come out. So exactly. When you're like, oh I, my gosh, I've got zero people. You but know. the problem is, when you don't highlight a problem, you're not usually incentivized to resolve it. And that's something why I mean, as a reason why I do like to say, hey, look, this is an issue. Now the question is, how are you or how are we going to put this, you know, to, together to find a solution? I think not having that discussion doesn't make things better. It just puts things in denial. You know, it makes people go into denial or it gaslights people who are actually experiencing this. And they say, okay, no, everything's fine. Um, and that's, that's irresponsible. It's, it's an approach that I think does no one any good. So um, I would love to see organizations be transparent about their journey, actually define some things, say, hey, look, this is, you know, these are the issues that we have. Um, these are the problems that we have. Um, and this is how we're going to try to address this. And we're going to check up over this on this over time. I think that that's a great way to do it. And as a matter of fact, some of the most successful organizations I've seen exactly do that. They say, you know what? I've recognized this is a problem. It's been actually pretty interesting. I've been watching the NFL, the National Football League's commissioner, and this is not to say that they've been doing this right from the very beginning, but they came to the table and they said, we're wrong. The players were right. We failed to recognize this when it started. A great statement. We were wrong about not recognizing this is a problem. It is a problem in the United States, and we need to fix it. And we support 100% the, the protesters, and we encourage our players to protest. This was a complete change, complete reversal, a great place to start. Uh, now there's an opportunity to put these things into real action. But the truth is that when you let people in on the journey, when you show that you're changing, this is the perfect opportunity. Everyone's thinking about it. So it's just like the pandemic. Everyone's in the same boat right now. This is a perfect time to say, hey, we recognize we've got a problem. Let's move forward together. Hey, look, I want to be able to chronicle this journey. I want to be able to actually, you know, approach this and think about how we can, we can take this and be accountable to our community for this, how we can learn together. And I think that's a big thing. You can't talk about being a more inclusive company and you don't include people into this, this discussion about how you're becoming more inclusive. So that's, that's a strange approach otherwise to take. But one thing to think about is the fifth point then is you have to be committed with this. 
So it's not just enough to make a statement, of course, it's not just enough to do a one-off thing. Think about what you can do over time. And this is something you're going to talk about over time, something you're going to address over time. You are going to have to put resources towards this. It might cost, you know, hiring some new people in terms of experts in this area or training people in your company. Everybody in your company should be able to understand and recognize, you know, what racism is and how they can, you know, mitigate it or eradicate it in some ways in your organization. What's not acceptable um, there and what, you know, you can do to be able to create safe spaces. That should be something your organization defines and shares and they should understand this. It takes time. You're going to need people hours. You're going to need to have, you know, effort over years. So one thing I'm going to say is that Black lives matter, but a life is more than a day. So make certain that you think about this, you know, actually over the, the lifetime of your company. Um, so as you make your messaging, don't make a statement that you can't stand behind. Um, and don't make a statement that, you know, doesn't have any life to it. It should live outside of the statement itself. So that's what I would love to see organizations do, to take action associated with the statements and their declarations. Yeah, you're right. That's that's really a great way to put it. So do you feel that this is more on the shoulders of organizations and companies themselves, or do press and media have a role to play or some sort of supporting role uh, in making these changes come about? What kinds of advice would you have for press and media? Yes, um, I would love for Finnish media to celebrate different looks of what it is to be Finnish. Uh, and, and one thing I noticed about the Finnish media, they, they love a good story that is pro-Finland, you know? Um, they love a good story that this is from Finland. These are these Finnish people who have done this great thing and they've made this fantastic thing. Um, a lot of times when you see stories that are from people who are of some ethnic minority or a different descent, they are then not necessarily Finnish people doing this. You know, that is not a representation of Finland at that point. That is a representation of that minority group. I think a great thing that could be done here is to expand the definition in media as to what a Finn is um, in terms of the representation, in terms of the stories that you're celebrating. Um, that's a great thing to be able to do without the caveat of saying this person is, you know, oh, but they're from this group here and they might have been living here for these years. If they're Finnish, they're Finnish. You know, it's actually kind of funny. I was living in Brazil. I was an exchange student there. Oh, great. And yeah. one of the things about living in the U.S. and growing up in the U.S. is that you've got all kinds of people who don't identify themselves as American. Everybody says, oh, I'm African-American or I'm white or I'm black or I'm, I'm, you know, all these different types of things. I'm Italian. I'm half, half Irish, half this, half that. Mm -hmm. No yeah. one says I'm American. And then you go to a place like Brazil and or you or here in Finland and everybody identifies themselves as Brazilian or Finnish. They they don't have all these uh, splits I of, know. of what that is. And I was talking to this one marketing director who is from someplace up in Yoensu. Her parents were obviously of some African descent, but she grew up here and she was as Finnish as anybody else. And she grew up in this little town and recently moved to Helsinki or whatever. It's just, it's amazing to think even myself, like I assume 
too much that people are from someplace else. And I say, oh, you know, what, what brought you here? Why are you here? That's the first thing you want to say to people. No, they lived here. They're from here. Yeah. They're yeah. Finnish. And we just have to keep that in mind. That's the new reality. That's where we live. You know, and if you say Finland, where are you really from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that all the time. And, you know, I, I think once again, it comes down to understanding the diversity of diversity, right? Um, so there are always going to be people who, you know, look different, have different experiences. And the trouble is when we reduce people to just their appearance. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think you should try to ignore people's appearance either. I think it's also a big part of their identity. Someone just wrote me a slightly backhanded compliment, I should say, <laughs> saying, oh, you're so, uh, you're so competent. I've never even noticed that you're black or something like this. Um, and that was, you know, and I was, it was really funny because like, I, I wonder why they thought that was a, that was a compliment. Um, but it, I think it's perfectly okay to acknowledge a person's color or, you know, ethnicity, but understand it doesn't define them. So the problem is when you start putting values onto it and, you know, those are things I would love to be able to challenge. Um, it shouldn't be that, you know, man, you are competent. You know, despite being black. Yeah, I've had that Even though you're black, yeah, it's it's exactly what it is. Well, actually, and sometimes it's really endearing. Like I don't really take offense to it here in Finland as much because people are seriously honest with you. I mean, this one time I was going to dinner with a friend. And I'm explaining some of these things that you learn or things that happen to you, you know, that girls I couldn't date because their parents wouldn't let me uh, because of the color of my skin, you know, people locking their doors, people uh, treating you or looking at you differently. And uh, he looked at me after I explained all this to him and he just looked at me straight in the eye and he said, you know, Steve, for the first time, I realize you're black. And I was like, oh, that's just so great. At the same time, I hear a lot of people say things like, I don't see color. And as well-meaning as that sounds, um, I don't think that that's really it. I mean, there are special things about each person. And you want to be seen as, as having a color but you just want it to be beautiful. You want it to be acceptable. You want it to have the same access to everything else that everyone else has. And I think that that's really the key. Um, can you see color and still consider it to be beautiful and good? I think it's kind of funny because if you were to go to an optometrist and said, you know, say, oh my gosh, I'm colorblind, they would consider that to be a visual impairment. It's not, in a, it's not an advantage. It's, it's an impairment. So... Um, a visual advantage is to be able to see color, but to be able to recognize in the sense that, you know, the value that it gives, you know, and that's something I would love people to be able to say, okay, hey, look, you know, yeah, you are, yeah, sure, you're black. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you're competent. That's, these are not things that should be considered in conflict with each other. You know, these are, those are things that they both add something. Um, to a discussion, you know, they both add something to a person's perspective. Yeah, again, it comes down to being able to see value in diversity. So last question, you talk a lot about radical empathy. 
Is this what you mean by radical empathy? Radical empathy, I would say, is striving to understand a person, striving to connect with people, try to, you know, understand an experience, even when it's inconvenient, even when, you know, it's uncomfortable, even when it's unnecessary, okay? Um, so it's not, I mean, empathy in, norm, in general is basically, it's kind of a spontaneous feeling. It's something that you don't, it's a passive thing. You see something, you see someone having a hard time and you feel something. That emotion is involuntary. I want you to have a voluntary emotion. I want you to have a voluntary experience where you are really striving to understand and striving to learn and to care. Because action is dependent on compassion. And if you don't create compassion, compassion is something that may or may not grow spontaneously, but you can plant that, you can grow that, and you grow it through empathy, you grow that through action, and you grow that through sustaining that over time. Laura Smith, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing all these great points. Oh, it's my and, pleasure. Uh, yeah, it was super discussion. If people want to get hold of you, what's your social media? You know what, right now, the best thing to find, actually, the best way to find me is Currently, if you can look me up on LinkedIn, if you're looking for some professional aspect of things, you can contact me at laura at ergoargo.com. That's E-R-G-O-A-R-G-O-T.com. Um, and feel free to send me a line. Um, I'm always up for networking with people who have you know, questions or interest in this area. Um, I love to be able to try to further the discussion in a productive way. So... If you want to contact me about that, I'm always open for it. Sounds great. Well, we want to thank you again for joining the Get Known podcast. And let's talk again. I think we have lots to talk about. Of course. I didn't know you lived in Brazil. We have to have a conversation about that. We definitely have to talk about Brazil. All right. See you. Take care. Ciao. This has been the Get Known podcast. Just a small side note, in the show notes, I've added some podcast and, and video links that have helped me learn about the history of policing in the U.S., slavery, and some nerdy law stuff around the Fourth Amendment, along with Laura's video. Sorry, Laura's video. Check them out if you have time. Um, they told me things that even myself as a person of color that I just didn't know because they just don't teach that stuff in school. The Get Known Podcast is produced by San Francisco Agency, located in beautiful Helsinki, Finland, where the sun never goes down now. To hear more interviews with journalists and PR professionals, please subscribe to the Get Known Podcast feed. You can share your comments or questions directly to me via LinkedIn or send an email to getknown@sanfrancisco.fi. Looking forward to hearing from you. See you next time.